0: This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. This special post budget statement broadcast is proudly brought to you by Telcom Business hello and good evening and welcome to the second hour of power business if you missed the first hour of the show we'll have all of those conversations up on podcast for you for now, though, we are moving into a panel. We've got economists, but also we have uh, Lung Lungasio, who's the CEO of Talcom Business in studio. We'll be unpacking this budget from an ICT and SME perspective, and really from an infrastructure perspective, right? Because that's what Talcom is becoming, an infrastructure a business. So it does become important for us to get their thoughts on the this budget. Uh, so we're going to do that, get our guests on the line, and then uh, get a going. Let's go for a quick break. Power Business with Non-Authant on Tontim Lambo. Monday Mandated- to Thursdays 6 to 8 p.m. and Fridays 6 to 7 p.m.
1: on Power 98.7.
0: It's ten minutes past seven, pm on Power Business. As promised, we have uh, our panel discussion on the national budget. Also keen to for, for you to uh, call in and weigh in. So lines are open. And joining me for this one is Lunga, CEO, his CEO at Talcom Business. a Senior Lecturer at the Graduate School of Business, of leadership, Business Leadership at Chinisa. And Bongani Mahiang, who's an economist and a social activist. Good evening uh, to you all. Bongani and Lunga on the line and Lunga to you in studio. Good
1: evening.
0: Yeah, good evening. Good evening. I think before we peel at the budget, keen to get overall uh, sentiments, I think, uh, you know, we come from Sona, which didn't have much of an impact, I think, for many, but uh, we know the budget is uh, the big one. Uh, Longa Keen, to get your thoughts here, Uh, what are your immediate feelings?
2: Yeah, thanks, Dr. Tanda. I think for me, it's a fairly balanced budget, right? It's an election year, right? And I think they're going to try and see how they actually balance it, uh, given all the challenges that we have in the country. I think for me, you know, quite a number of positives that I've actually picked up today. I think, uh, you know, more budget allocated to salaries of teachers, nurses and doctors. And I think uh, especially with regards to doctors, right, and the shortages that we have just across hospitals across the country. as well. I think that will go a long way as well. And there's been a little bit of an injection into maybe the infrastructure businesses such as Transnet. That's that's really close to our heart because it really, really uh, uh, powers the economy. And not much on maybe personal income tax. There's a little bit of a drag, right, that they've created for themselves to get a little bit of money. I say growth still fairly flat right you know especially with regards to the emerging economies as well i think for me what's much more real is the debt servicing costs i actually just looked at them right absolute figures you're looking at 382 billion on just servicing debt going to interest that's not even paying capital right and compare that to an injection into the economic development which is 255 it's even you know higher than what we spend on peace and security and i think we need a lot more injection right just to get the economy going and a lot more revenue, you get a lot more expert, the, the tech base, and, and, and so it's it's a fairly balanced budget but it's not going to move the needle, it's an election year they'll stick to what they do so that's just been my, yeah
0: Fantastic, Bungani good evening to you uh, what are your immediate thoughts on this one?
3: No thank you very much um, if there's one thing I would extract from what the previous speaker has spoken about is what has been budgeted for public servants um, I value public servants a lot, those people work hard and um, what we saw last year that contributed to the budget overrun is that they gave them increase but it wasn't budgeted for and then they were blamed and they were told about a bloated um government um um, salary bill and so forth and that is where we actually um generate or get our democratic dividend is through our interactions with those people so that stood out but then also Um, If we look at it, it, the budget, it still goes towards non-interest expenditure and less on interest expenditure. So to me, still, it it says that there is no interest in the actual growth of the economy that will ensure that people get into employment and people are able to be independent and um, just plot their own futures without uh, over-reliance on the state. So I saw that continue. And then also even the projections for the medium term um, expenditure framework as far as the growth of the economy. It still says, even what the minister did say, that the economy will not grow significantly in order to create jobs. Um, and also even the projections for 2023, the 06 is consistent with the 0.8 that the minister to- spoke about in terms of um, economic growth from 2012. So that speaks about also the priorities of the state. That the priorities of the state are not consistent with the interests of the citizens of this country, and that to me is quite sad. And even if you look at the um, the debt service cost, it's bigger than what has been allocated for economic growth. Um, so uh, it's still a bleak state. Um, also, if you look at what has been um, outlined as the risk or contributing factors towards strained economic growth, um, ESCOM, logistics, and um, the high cost of living, there was nothing really said with regards to say how can we reduce them. And also playing around with text to say that the brackets won't be adjusted for inflation. That is as good as saying that you have increased personal income tax. So people are still going to get hurt. And th- that is the decreasing tax base because if you look at it, there are more people on social wages than there are people that are contributing to tax. So that is unsustainable. That is a future political and economic risk.
0: Thanks. Thank you for that. Aboukandida good evening to you. Please do go ahead.
1: Um, thank you for me, um, I think because of the, uh, the fact that the budget is how the, the government actions the SONA, I think the four priorities that were listed in the SONA were somehow um, addressed in the budget. So the four priorities were um, unemployment, the issue of load shading, um, poverty and inequality, and then also uh, crime and, and corruption. So, for me, I feel like the minister did try to address all of this. So, first, when it comes to the issue of load shedding, we know in general that SOEs are in organizational decline. So, not only in terms of governance, but in, tom- in terms of also infrastructure. And we know also that business is uh, the main uh, player in the economy that's forever complaining about load shedding. Because they are using much more, um, much more profits and much more uh, production uh, than us as households who are suffering from low trading, for instance. So, for instance, your your industries such as your mining, manufacturing, um, they are always disgruntled about uh, low trading. So, what the minister said about the about the incentives that they are giving to business I think is one of the ways of trying to relieve the grid Um, I remember also last year the minister started to introduce this idea from 2023 to give an incentive to businesses to go into renewable energy and by so doing they will get a a reduction in their taxable income last year it was 125 percent so that is one of the the issues regarding load shedding, yes. and then also staying on the issue of of energy, the minister announced that there's going to be an incentive for electric cars in 2026, and that has been allocated um, an amount of 964 million. So I think again, this is the drive towards trying to. Um, relieve the grid, essentially, trying to solve the issue of ESCOM. While it's a very difficult issue to solve, Um, we know that at the same time, um, ESCOM is still being given um, more state guarantees. But I think at least this is what the minister is trying to, um, is trying to to effect or to action in order to um, show that he's addressing the issue of load shedding. Then, with the issue of, of poverty and, and um, the increasing cost of living, I think the minister did well, especially socially, when it comes to the social grants. An increase of 100 rand for pensioners and disability um, recipients, I think, is very welcomed. Um, I think it's one of the best increases so far. Um, The foster care grant also went up by 50 rand, and the child social grant has gone up by 20 rand. So the big elephant in the room was the social relief of disgrace grant, which is the 350 grant. Uh, The minister did announce that the the grant is still going to be here until 2025. And then obviously, uh, they have to regroup with, with uh, social development to discuss any improvements or movements regarding it. Um, so, th- the issue here what's, what's different about this year more than any other years is, is the issue of the elections. Um, the social grounds are one of the greatest uh, powers that both the state and um, both the state and individuals have over whether to 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 vote uh, or not, or whether to vote for the ruling party or not. So, um, not only did the minister try to address the key priority regarding poverty and income inequality, um, but he is he knows that um, the votes, the elections, are one of the biggest bargaining powers in order for um, in order for them to win um, the elections or get a significant uh, majority and then um, also uh, with the issue of unemployment uh, for me in the announcements um, i saw a few opportunities for uh, reducing unemployment for instance, the minister mentioned that they will open 27 new corridors for Prasa. So, in a sense, I think that will create a bit of employment for um, some of your your government officials in in Prasa. Also, 765 billion has been allocated to peace and security, which implies that we'll have a significant increase in the number of uh, police. And, and soldiers, so which is a, also already an industry on its own when it comes to to uh, reducing unemployment.
0: Thank you for that. I'm going to have to interject there. I think we'll certainly come back to you uh, for more there. There's quite a bit to unpack. Lung, I want to bring it actually back to you here and touch on the issue of infrastructure because I think uh, yeah. that's an important one. Uh, and of course, we know that uh, this is an area that telecom is very, very keen on. The issue of uh, infrastructure development and how it uh, has a multiplier effect actually uh, within our economy adequately addressed in today's budget?
2: Not much, right? I mean, as business we always welcome government intervention into the economy, especially, you know, investing in economic development. Maybe let me start with, uh, you know, you know what we do, right? In the infrastructure space, we, we provide services, connectivity services to both consumers and small businesses. And really, if you really want to get the economy going and actually get real economic growth, you actually have to have interventions around what is it that you can do to get people to become much more productive in the economy and, and income so that can pay tax, Right. And they actually contribute to the fiscal. On the other side, you have to look at what sort of job opportunity uh, opportunities you can create in the economy. Largely, in most economies across the world, large enterprises don't create a lot of jobs. Governments don't create a lot of jobs. Government intervene in the economy to create a fairly good uh, environment for business to prosper. What we've seen in successful economies, small businesses drive economic development. Currently in South Africa, small businesses contribute, I think, just in the early 20s in terms of GDP. Successful economies, 60 to 70%. We really need to have intervention in that space (laughs) as a start, Right in terms of what is it that we can do. If I look at the budget, in terms of what has been allocated into economic development and some of the interventions that can be done by government, not really much. And I think there's a lot more that can be done. If I look at interventions into the infrastructure, which is the economic, uh, sort of the, the connectivity infrastructure, such as, uh, you know, the, the 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 towers, the mobile towers, uh, the, also the, the fiber that we actually put on the ground as the telco to enable consumers to have access to the digital world because you want that connectedness to actually happen in the country. Not much is happening in that space. But we've been engaging them directly to ensure that we can actually direct the conversations around regulators in terms of how they actually allocate spectrum, as an example, how they're regulating the industry, how they open it up. And we've been inviting them to actually work with them to do those things as well. But I don't think much is being allocated into those interventions to make sure that we can actually get the industry to create these opportunities right, where we can co-invest or even invest ourselves uh, and create a a connected society as an example but also in the small business space i think for me there's a lot more that can be done in really around the regulator so think about this if you have a small business renting on a a mall right because you are a business actually municipalities charge you more than consumers households in terms of taxes that's an inhibitor there's no intervention when it comes to that uh if Uh, If if you look into just your own operational costs, right, in those entities as well, you don't see much, right, you know, in terms of interventions that could potentially go into really opening up, you know, opportunities for small businesses as well. So really, if you want to get the economy going, you start to allocate a lot more into economic development so that you can get society to become much more productive as consumers, but also get businesses going, creating opportunities rather than allocate a lot more into social grants, right? That by creating a, in any state in essence, you don't really want to do that because you're actually not really going to grow the tech space for starters and we're finding ourselves in that space. So I think for me, the telco space really, really plays an important role and there's a lot more that could be done to actually support the industry itself. And I mean, think about, we invest billions and billions into the infrastructure, right? And we've got, you know, what we call OTTs. Right, uh, your Facebooks, all your social basically applications, they, they, they use the same infrastructure almost for free and a lot of them not even have local offices or even pay tax, some do and regulation just around that itself as well so that they don't take money out of the country and actually not invest in it as well so those kind of interventions and how much is being allocated towards such interventions to help the industry grow because we invest a lot in it. On the other side you've got social obligations such as can you reduce the Yeah, the price of data, right? We invest money. And the intervention to actually help us to make sure that whatever we're investing, we have to get the return on investment because we've got shareholders, right? And we have to create value for everyone. And it's such interventions that can really, really, really look into.
0: Um, thank you for that, Lunga. I think we'll come back to this issue certainly because I do believe that the digital economy is a low-hanging fruit, something gotcha. that we should be tapping into. Bongani, I want to speak to you about this issue that Lunga raised of a tax base that needs to be broadened. It's just very, very clear that uh, you know, of uh, th- those of us who pay uh, a tax, uh, we are uh, we've reached our limits. I think uh, some may even say that uh, individuals, in terms of personal income tax, are uh, completely uh, overtaxed. And then, of course, we have just a limited number of. Uh, entities, enterprises that are able to pay tax. Did the Spices at all speak of anything that might uh, show us that we've got a plan, even maybe not in the short term, but a plan uh, to increase the number of enterprises that we have to broaden uh, that uh, base? Hi, Bongani, are you there? Bongani, can you hear me? Yes, I can.
1: Yes. Please, do go, yes, yes.
3: please,
0: please do go ahead. Did you hear the question? Uh, no, I didn't hear Yes, yeah, so I was asking about the broadening of the tax base and if there was anything in this budget uh, that, uh, you know, did allude to the fact that we have a plan to broaden the tax base in the future.
3: Okay. So basically, um, tax revenue its a revenue stream and um, that's the primary revenue generation or that's where government generates primary revenue and you need the economy to go to grow in order to generate that revenue. So there's actually a positive relation, there's correlation between those two variables. And there wasn't something that was speaking out strongly to say, this is how we'll grow the economy, which then would imply that this is how we we'll then raise revenue of, um, through taxes. In fact, what was presented was that government plans to um, generate 5 billion rand by the the introduction of the two-port system or expediting implementation of the two-port system. And that is is a a superficial way of doing it, and it actually hurts the residents or hurts people on the basis that now you'll have then access to the one-third, which is the saving port. And for you to transact on it, you will be charged by the state. And the very same state is saying that we are not going to adjust tax brackets In line with inflation, so that means that when you get a salary increase, it might push you into the next tax bracket. So you are going to then see um, an increase in your personal income tax. So you are still hammering on those that have been contributing to the tax base without actually increasing it. So bringing in new revenue into the system. So that means there is no enhancement of revenue. It's just revenue management, which is basically speaks to the maximization of existing revenue streams. So that's nothing new um, or nothing significant with regards to new allocations, enhancement of revenue stood out.
0: Yeah, you know, I think it is uh, definitely one of those uh, very, very uh, challenging uh, issues here. Along I just want to come back to you here. When we speak about infrastructure and even maybe uh, speaking about ICT infrastructure, I'm keen to get your uh, thoughts and ideas on how municipalities contribute to that or don't. Because this is an important part, I guess, of being able to roll it out and making sure that even the most uh, vulnerable people, vulnerable businesses within society are able, uh, you know, to get uh, that uh, connection. Uh, it is, however, half past seven. So we'll go to headlines with Ngakalut uh, Defo come back and answer that one this special post budget statement broadcast is proudly brought to you by Telcom business 1933 and Power Business. We continue to unpack uh, the budget speech that was delivered by Finance Minister Dongwana earlier today. And joining me to do that is Lungasio, CEO, CEO of Telcom Business, Tlatongosi, who's senior lecturer at the Graduate School of Business Leadership at Unisa, and Bongani Maklango, who's economist and social activist. I uh, look before the break. I did ask about the issue of municipalities. It did come up today. Of course, uh, they get funds allocated to them, uh, but we know this is a place of huge uh, inefficiencies. Um, keen to get your thoughts on how that affects uh, even the services that a telecom does you know offer
2: yeah maybe a couple of things right on infrastructure i just want to touch base on the rail infrastructure because mm. as telcos we almost uh well we import everything right mm. that we actually use the equipment to buy from the east and all the western world and the phones right all the phones that you actually see in the country maybe one or two brands are really assembled in the country, but most of them we import them and you've got this cork you know, at, at ports, you can't really move stuff, in essence. It really impacts on our business, uh, you know, significantly because it also changes the cost structures, right, in, in essence. Now you find yourself having to move stuff in trucks rather than rail. So welcome the intervention there. I think it's going to go a long way. It's not nearly enough to actually sort out the issues, but I think let, let's welcome it for now. On the other side, uh, with regards to our own infrastructure, we spend billions on a yearly basis, right, laying out, mobile towers laying that fiber on the ground to really get this economy going from a connectedness you know point of view however two critical things that we need assistance with with regards to government which I think the local government doesn't really have the capacity to actually address and I think uh, an intervention from the national government potentially one is the issue of in the regulatory space uh, something called way leaves uh, which is the permits that you need to actually build the infrastructure itself the turnaround time you know around those, are very long, right, in essence. I don't think they have the capacity to actually either process the stuff in time. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done from a local government perspective to really help us as well. And some of the local government council would really like to invest in infrastructure and they don't have the know how and the skills and sometimes they don't know how to actually do it. We, we usually partner with them to actually lay out either fiber, air fiber, or on the ground and also to just secure the infrastructure that we have in that space. Biggest issue we have is security mm. of the infrastructure itself. You've seen it with Transnet, how the railway lines basically have been destroyed, stolen, and you know whatever's been happening in that space. On our side, we've got a battery theft issue, big one, right? And really working with government and the local government, especially the ones that have a security sort of capability around the local police, right? Because we know with CEPs, they are really stretched in terms of resources, but you think sort of trying to aspect the could potentially partner with them to really make sure that they secure our sides. And sometimes not just government, right? It's also the communities within which where people live because they know the people that are actually stealing the batteries, They could actually help us right, to secure that. So there's a lot of interventions in that space. I think it's a question of capacity within local government to actually be able to partner with us and actually secure the network itself to make sure that we don't get a lot of battery theft in those sites as well. We don't spend a lot of money on security just securing the site so that you are connected all the time. And these days you know, with load shedding, right, some municipalities, we partner with them because they sort of control the load shedding schedule and we partner with them around the schedule themselves because what tends to happen is every time you've got load shedding, we we divert back to batteries. And if it's longer than four hours, it take, there's not enough time to actually recharge them as well. So therefore, which means people are not connected and they might need critical services. Think about it, you've got load shedding and someone gets a heart attack, you need an ambulance and you're not connected. So critical services really get impacted. And there's a lot of things we can do in that space from a local government. But I think the intervention from national government mm-hmm via not just allocating budget and money to them, but also the capabilities that they need, those local governance uh, structures to actually execute and spend the money where it needs to be.
0: Thank you for that. But I want to bring you in here. I think on the back of what Lunga just spoke about, that relationship between national government and local government, very important. I think when we see the finance minister giving this address, it only becomes granular when it reaches our municipalities, really for most part. Are we seeing a strong enough connection between these two parts of government to ensure that there are efficiencies within the way the budget is utilized?
1: Um So, one of the the statements that the the Minister gave, which was in line with trying to to address the issue of of energy, is that the smart prepaid meters are going to be allocated, I think, for $26 billion across uh, municipalities, especially ones that have been um, identified to be struggling maybe with revenue enhancement or being able to use their grants. So... As much as um, there is uh, some kind of a connection between um, the national and the local uh, levels of government, unfortunately, there tends to be this disconnect and a divide where you find that, obviously, at the ground, the municipalities are the ones that are facing um, that are facing the people in the front line while in, at national, they are mostly the people who administrate the funds to them. So in a way, there is a divide and I feel like the the budget didn't really address that and more work needs to go into that.
0: I must ask you this one also, Bongani, I'd like you to bring you in here also uh, that issue with local uh, government. I think an important uh, one when we uh, speak of infrastructure, but uh, also the slippage that may come through uh, from a national budget, trickling down to a local budget, you know, is money you know, being lost in the process, that by the time that it gets uh, to you and me and where it's supposed to go, um, it's just not the amount, uh, you know, that we expected, and also then it's also not in the most efficient hands as possible.
3: All right, no thanks. So what we need to understand about our local governments, um, and this is also articulated by the AG in the MFMA um, report that they give us on an annual basis, is that. Um, from the two hundred and fifty seven odd local municipalities, you find that only about thirty something actually do get an unqualified audit and the rest are struggling. And if you look at the cause of that struggle, you find that in their budget and treasure offices they don't have capacity. And then when it comes to also the utilization of grants, you find that they what some call them PMUs project and management units. So you find that those units do not have people with adequate skills when it comes to program and project management. Then you find that in their SCM units, their supply chain management units, they don't have people who have the capacity um, to actually execute issues that require contract management. So they don't have contract management skill, uh, skills. Then you find that um, when it comes to shovel-ready projects, they can't even develop shovel-ready projects of which these grants will go into. So you find in most cases there's under expenditure of these grants and then the grants get minimized and um, um, over time and then also you find that the, the municipalities, the few municipalities that can actually spend their grants then they get a bigger share of this grant. So there's distortion with regards to the distribution of these grants, and even in year as well, you would know that when there are adjustments by treasury, um, um, that the grants would be reallocated, so they will taken from one municipality to another. But the municipalities of which they are being taken away from, they need them the most. So treasury does not go as far as speaking to provincial treasuries and also the responsible divisions or departments within these municipalities to say, how can we capacitate you? So when these uh, when these money come you are in a best position to utilize these money as well and ensure that services actually go um, um, the actual service delivered that takes place so that never happens, it's just money that is being thrown around to non-exhaustive expenditure uh, money that gets thrown around to transfer payments and also it, it moves from one treasury to this cocktail, maybe cocktail to a municipality or water services to a municipality, so it just moves around within the internal systems of government with no one Actually, checking that where the money is going and the end destination, there is capacity to actually use it. That's one, too. There's also the element of um, 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 local economic development that hardly gets spoken about. Okay. So, you find again that in your LED units or departments, and the people that mend these departments find that they do not have the adequate skill, the requisite skill. Or sometimes there's no one there. Or sometimes the staff there is not enough. The staff complement there is not in accordance in order to ensure that actual economic development, local economic development takes place at that level of the state. So you find that um, most of the time what these units do, it's just a facilitation of your CPWP and EPWP and not necessarily growing the economy. Because what they must look at is economic development and development economics. Even at times, when it's maybe it is a mining municipality or a municipality that um, they, they are mines operating there within the SLPs, there you find that these mines, besides national government or provincial government, are saying we are going to fund one two and three maybe an establishment of a factory that will then manufacture certain input in our production so then you find that there are jobs in the long in the short run and jobs in the long run so there are sustainable jobs that will be created there but then the municipality because of its lack of capacity cannot even leverage of what already exists so what national often does. They just throw money, they just throw money. They do not capacitate with people. Hence then, you will say the money does not reach its end destination, Oh, the money does not um, um, do anything, there's no impact, significant impact there. And then there's also not that bottom-up approach where a local municipality actually contributes to achieving certain national um, economic growth um, um, strategies or objectives as outlined in the NDP. So there's no synergy between the, 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 the levels or stratas of government. It's just money flowing, and that contributes to the problem that we see today.
0: Thank you for all that, Bangalya. I'd like to discuss climate change. And I'm also keen to get your thoughts here on issues of climate change. I think this is something we can no longer ignore, uh, that we have climate change events in South Africa. In fact, one flood anywhere in the country and the little bit of growth that we're getting out is deeply compromised. From uh, your perspective here, uh, you know, uh, Lunga, we heard today $3.3 billion moving in that direction, all of it raised from multilaterals. But we need to safeguard our infrastructure. We need to safeguard, uh, you know, things like connectivity. You spoke of emergency services services, that kind of thing, I don't think something we've contended with as a country and money uh, that needs to be allocated there. What could we be doing differently here?
2: Uh. A difficult one, mm. right? Difficult one. I think a lot of enterprises are actually investing a lot, especially just in clean energy, right? Mm. And basically how they actually power up a lot of industries and using things such as batteries and also, uh, I don't know if you, you actually look at gas as clean mm. energy, but I think it is... Yeah. yeah, I mean,
0: it it's very debatable, energy, but yeah. You know,
2: he, 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 and yes, solar, I, right? Mm. However, think about data centers, right? Mm. Which is something yes. of a reality in our own space in terms of how much they consume in terms of energy. Mm. It becomes difficult to actually use diesel or gas or any of these, you know, alternatives. So we actually have to find different ways so that we can actually contribute as well because it really does, you know, impact society uh, in, in terms of the changing weather patterns, uh, especially in the insurance space, but on our own side as well we actually see those. So there's a lot of things that could potentially be done. I think business is really committed on it. Mm. However, if you think about just the base load of electricity in the country, because in our space for instance, for data centers, mm. the cheapest form of energy it's still Escom, right, because the alternatives are still very expensive in mm. terms of consumption. Mm. I think gas, yes, right, mm. how much of money we spend on diesel, I mean, it's close to a billion in our own space just to make sure that we've got, you know, backup energy. Very expensive. What it means is that's going to translate into a higher input cost for a price of one gig, mm. right, and you can't reduce it and create this democratization, Right, so that people can participate in a digital economy because the price is still high, because the input scores are high. So interventions around really stabilising ESCOM become key. But you've got another challenge in that space where ESCOM utilises a lot of coal into the baseload. If you transition completely out of coal into clean energy, I think it's a million jobs that you could potentially impact. The entire economy of coal would be wiped out. That's tax revenue. That's employment opportunities. Can you translate all of that into clean energy? The government is going to have to balance that, mm-hmm. right? On the other side, we need a regular, consistent energy supply into industries so that we can keep these things going because there's an investment. We try to become much more efficient and create cheaper prices for people to buy data and access the digital economy and the opportunities that are sitting in that space, therefore create employment opportunities. And think about education these days. So if you actually have access to the digital economy, there's a lot of platforms where you can learn a lot of things. I've seen kids learning coding out of YouTube mm. and actually getting virtual jobs, right? Because you've got access to cheap data services. You can get jobs virtually and deliver services to an American company sitting at home. You actually don't have to incur transport costs to get into an office, right? So there's a lot of benefits if we do it right in terms of energy, supply into industries however the balance between clean energy versus what you could potentially call dirty energy still has to be maintained because we are a fairly developing country we still need to create a lot of job opportunities and our base load comes from coal so a balance has to be achieved there i think as business we have our own interventions in yes. terms of esg and you'll see in our annual reports even because we're listed entity. jse we published in terms of our own interventions and there's a lot of money that we spend in that space to make sure that we can contribute
0: Fantastic. Uh, we're going to be bringing you in here with issues of climate change. I think it is an important one here, uh, especially because of the legacy of apartheid spatial planning. We know which areas are more than vulnerable uh, in the times of these disasters. Uh, was that directed to me? Yes, it was.
3: Oh, okay. No, thanks. Um, so we had the minister. Um, the minister spoke about moving to the phase two of implementation of the carbon tax. Um, This carbon tax, we know that it was actually introduced in 2019, and we have been at phase one since 2019. But how we move, it has to be prudent. So as it was said by the previous speaker, that we do not increase um, the cost of production, more especially in a country such as ours, where we are reliant um, on manufacturing, reliant on mining um, as, as the biggest contributors to our economy in terms of revenue and jobs. And those two industries, you know, or these two sectors, you find that they are energy intensive. So how you move about the introduction of phase two? It has to be in a prudent way so you don't actually end up harming the economy because we must also not, um, not ignore the fact that when it comes to total global emissions, South Africa emits less than 2%. So we cannot then want to please the world and also by harming ourselves. So as I said, prudency. And then what we've also seen from from literature is that when um, there is an increase in emissions, there's also then an increase in the GDP up until a point of structural break. Whereas the GDP would have grown to a significant point, and then you find that then there is now then a decrease in carbon emissions. So that point today is what we would call then a structural break because the economy now has grown enough, there's adequate revenue that now there is invest- investment in technologies that will ensure reduction of CO2, and then there's also then all these countries or um, the economy grows so much that there is um, uh, what you call. Um, I just forgot the actual technical term, but then your production, you minimize your production by actually moving it outside of your geography, of your boundaries. So then you find that there's actually high emission elsewhere and there's low emission where you are because you can now afford to do those things. So now I'm saying that we must be um, careful that we do not compromise our planet, but we must also remember that we have localities such as Emalaheni, um that is in Pumalanga, the Emalacheni in Newcastle, and so forth, that are reliant, those people there, uh, their material conditions are reliant on such things. So as and when we move, we must ensure that those people are not left behind, but we must move in order to save the planet but we must not compromise ourselves in the process
0: I got you. It's a very interesting one there and one that also speaks more of the issue of balance. And I think, uh, Bongani, both you and Nungor have touched on issues of cost, you know, just being able to understand the state of the South African consumer. that I'd like to then bring you in here. We saw that, uh, you know, there were no uh, tax breaks, but also no additional taxes at this point. And I want to get your thoughts on this one. Uh, for many, it is welcomed that, you know, things are not great, but things at least are not worse for us from a tax perspective.
1: Um, okay, so from a tax perspective, I think I'd like to highlight the fact that um, – okay, so first, can I also add to my colleagues' sentiments regarding climate change? Sure. Um, okay, so I'd like to mention the fact that what we need to learn from here, as my colleagues have spoken, is about cost, is about means of production, and is about what. Um, what South Africans are going to benefit if we move to clean energy. We know that South Africa has um, also signed the, the Kyoto Protocol, and which which um, which upholds the condition that there should be a reduction in carbon emissions. But I think if you look at history and the literature, they will inform us that in the 1980s, when the UK was also um, in their era of privatization, they also closed down their coal mines and chose to move to gas. And what that caused was a massive unemployment within the coal industry. So for us, that is a huge lesson lesson for us to not repeat history, a history that didn't happen here. Mm -hmm. Um, And then with regards to the tax question, um, I think, yes, the tax issues are not great, but I think on a lighter note, and especially the whole House saw that, or rather reacted to the excise taxes, mm-hmm. that the excise taxes are the only uh, taxes which you can never dispute government about. Um, especially when it, when it comes to um, June. I hope I'm not digressing here, but June has gone up by five rand, uh 57 and and cigars as well. So just to summarize, um, in terms of taxes, yes, there was not really um, any kind of relief. But when it comes to the ideal tax collection that was highlighted in the budget speech today, it difference to excise taxes.
0: Ah, oh, thank you for that one, uh Vanessa. I mean for the I think that very uh uh tricky one there of course of the uh balancing of taxes. Uh, we of course need to widen uh, the tax base as a whole and there's not much we can uh, do about uh, that until we see ourselves uh, moving forward in uh, that uh, regard. I also wanted to touch on uh, the issue of uh, you know, debt. Long wanted to touch on it when he uh, opened up here that South Africa is battling with debt. The amount of money we're spending on interest is I think actually ridiculous at this point. It's 20 cents of every one rand uh, we make in revenue it means uh, that the tide has to turn uh here what we have seen uh throughout the african continent is other african nations getting into a debt crisis and having uh, to call to the likes of uh, the imf for some form of bailout we're not there yet uh Bongani, and in my mind uh we're we can still avert that crisis no thanks um can i
3: want to just touch briefly on the text one the text yes. one when it comes to personal income tax, I see people are celebrating. But what the minister said is that it will not be adjusted to inflation. Mm-hmm. So meaning the, 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 the bracket that you are in will not be widened with inflation. So now that means when you get a, 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 your increment, a salary increment that is aligned to inflation, it might possibly push you up to a to higher bracket where you'll pay more tax. So, that is just to me a fancy, very fancy way of saying that we're increasing tax. Mm-hmm. And people are, are celebrating. So, other people are going to pay more personal income tax, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And then, when it comes to our debt to GDP, you see, this would not be an issue if the economy was growing. Because we know other countries around the world that have a debt to GDP ratio that even exceeds 100%. But because of the strength of the economy, they are able to save this. So the debt service cost, they are able to save this without actual interruptions in their economy. Mm-hmm. So if South Africa were to reach such a uh, level, then it would be then under arrest. So now, for instance, if you look at it, one contributing factor to that is that South Africa's economic outlook is becoming more and more volatile. So meaning South Africa, as a person that goes out into the whether it's the domestic or global capital markets for um, 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 for mobilization of funds, is riskier now than it was some time ago. And that contributes to the interest that South Africa will be charged. I mean, last year, last year, South Africa was grey listed. Mm. Um, and that is um, um, a, a, a credit or that is a risk that will ensure that there is an upward adjustment in the interest that you pay. So now if we are able to deal with those things and demonstrate to these financial markets that we are less risky, as proved by the sovereign credit agencies, then even that will um, naturally come down by itself. But South Africa is not doing that. I mean, as we speak in South Africa, they are less, taxpayers as compared to people that rely on a social wage or a social benefit which is unsustainable and it puts us at risk so what we need to do to mitigate against such things is to ensure that the economy grows then we will realize that it is not a bed of a pit. so when south africa grows goes out to even raise mobilized funds oftentimes They mobilize it for transfer payment, um, um, non-interest expenditure. Instead of going out there to mobilize funds for your gross capital formation, that is investment in infrastructure, which, as you said earlier, has about 2.5 in the multiplier. That's just revenue. But also with regards to the multiplier, to jobs revenue to the state and so forth and so on so south africa often as we even saw so during COVID, they went out there even though it was said it was zero based went to the global financial markets to raise money so they can pay um, um to or you know, to increase the social safety net and now people have to pay for it and they press the existing um revenue generators of the state which is unsustainable as i said earlier what the minister has said is actually revenue management, which is maximization of existing revenue without the actual introduction of additional revenue. So if they did that, then that issue will be a non-issue.
0: Well, that's all we have time for this evening. Uh, Bongani and Lato, thank you so much for joining us. Lunga, I think I we'll wrap up with you there, you know, as we uh, close in our conversation this evening, when uh, we just think of uh, the year ahead uh, from a telecom business perspective, the work that you do, but also elections are coming up, you know. What does that mean for uh, the business, for the risks, uh, the environment that you operate in, also on the back of, of course, uh, today's budget?
2: Yeah, I mean, a couple of things for us. Right? We continue providing services yeah. to South Africans, obviously to consumers and small businesses. However, it's going to be a, a a bumpy road. Right, mm-hmm. It's going to be a bumpy road from a political, uh, a politics perspective. We don't know what's going to happen after the elections. Are we still going to have the same government or a collusion of government? We've seen what has happened with collusion governments, you know, by the way, at a local level in terms of how they pan out. That has a direct impact on business mm-hmm. because you get a stop in services being provided right on the streets, which actually, in turn, impact business or our ability to continue providing the services on a positive note we we actually do uh, you know power up the elections mm-hmm. right because they need connectivity right? right they need to connect basically all the public stations across the country will continue to do that. Uh, that's part of what we do to support democracy. However, you know, there's a regulatory framework, right, that we still, you know, trying uh, to engage government in to make sure that they can create these conducive, you know, conditions for the for the industry to thrive. So we'll continue doing that, you know, with government and also post-elections will continue yeah, doing that as well. We don't know if it's going to be the same minister and hopefully it's the same so that we don't have to restart the relationships. And interest rates are still going to be high, which impacts on, you know, the disposable incomes of consumers. Uh, we're really hoping that we can start to see the tampering down of interest rates because that also has a direct impact in terms of spending. I think if those things could potentially happen as well, they actually will get people to spend a lot more on the economy rather than try and service their own personal debt. Mm-hmm. And lastly, uh, I think just the global world, right? And the, you know what you see, you know, happening with the different wars and how it impacts in our own posture as well, and the impact of that, you know, will it really, you know, materialize in terms of the negatives that people are predicting? We, we don't know, right? But we're hoping for the best in, in, in essence because we need a South Africa that is thriving. We need a government. Delivers services to its own people, so that business can thrive, create jobs, and open the economy.
0: Fantastic! It's been a pleasure having you in studio. Thank you so much uh, for joining us for this in-depth analysis, uh, Lunga. Uh, that is Lunga, CEO, CEO of Talcom Business. A big thank you to Salaton Kosi, senior lecturer at the Graduate School of Business Leadership at UNISA, and Wangani Mashango, who's economist and social activist. This special post-budget statement broadcast was proudly brought to you by Talcom Business.